the alignment that I have to the F1 world is if you want your car to be as fast as possible and to perform on track as fast as possible, you can put more and more sensors on that car. There's always more data you can get off that car, but it comes at the cost of weight. Welcome to episode 47 of Give Yourself Some Leeway with me, your host, Eugene Lee. Today I am joined by Paul Teasdale and what a gem Paul is. From sausage making to Formula One to implementing Formula One strategies in workplaces. One great example from today's conversation was implementing Formula One processes to help cut the time tip to replenish stock on shelves in the supermarket, which normally would have cost them millions per year. So I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Paul as much as I did. And yeah, let me know what you think. Eugene.Leeway on Instagram, give yourself some leeway.com or shoot me an email, eugene at leeway.ie. You can also leave a voice note here on Spotify and I'll get back as soon as possible. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode with Paul Teasdale. Paul, it's great to have you here on Give Yourself Some Leeway. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Eugene. Absolute pleasure, mate. So I, I think one of the things where I always like to start out with, especially with coaches, is that somewhere on our journey, we hit a rock bottom or this turning point or this moment of realization that something needs to change. Yeah. And that brings us on a journey of recovery, growth and development. And then for the likes of coaches, there's this spark or vision or this calling to serve others. And whether that's um, as a result of serving others helps you on your growth journey, or maybe you just don't want other people to go through the pain or the experience that you went through. Mm. What was that like for you? And why is it that you do what you do? Uh, always a good question. And just something that challenges you to think back and go, what is it that triggered all this off? Um, and I know in our earlier conversations prior to this recording, we've, I was like, I don't think I've ever been burnt out. You know, I don't think I've ever been burnt out. I fizzled out. And that sort of really struck home with me is actually I, the moments that have led to um, a big change in my career, most notably when I left um, the McLaren team with the, uh, and to go out and work independently. Um, that was because I felt fizzled. And it wasn't because there was more and more on me and I was getting this feeling of, of burnout and I'm getting under too much pressure. It was almost the opposite. I had too little to do. I wasn't being challenged and I don't work well in that environment. And I tend to um, just let it wash over me. And before I know it, I've spent far too long doing not doing the right things. And that then translates into all sorts of things with my own health, my own life outside of work you know you, you stop going to the gym as much you you eat poorly you do all this sort of things that, and it's actually this mental state of burnout is the other end of the spectrum and i'm i've all, almost experienced this fizzle out piece of you know i'm not being stimulated enough and not being um, uh, challenged enough in those environments at times and then that's led to actually this needs to change and the only thing i can do is to take it upon myself to make a change, take a leap and do something different. And I've always had some element of coaching in what I've done, coaching conversations, you know, I've helped people along and I just, it's a big part of what I like to do. And, you know, I like to, to use my experiences and my, and the things that I've learned along the way so that people can stand on the shoulders, you know, and, and, and move even faster than uh, than I've progressed and do even better than me. And that's, that's always been the bits that have really helped me is when you see people go in, oh, if I use that insight, if I use that story, I can use that to help me to springboard to the next level and to move forward. So that's what uh, that's what I like to do. And that is either through a coaching piece or facilitation workshops, anything that helps people to have that realization and then a change in mindset in terms of what they can do differently. I like the way you say like that you fizzled out rather than burnt out, but there are a lot of similarities, even though you weren't overwhelmed or overworked or stressed, there was still a disconnect. Mm. There was still a disengagement because you weren't fully stimulated mm. uh, in, in what you were doing. Yeah. And it was that lack of action uh, that 
it again it was you out of alignment with what you wanted to do so there were similarities there but yes it wasn't to the same extent of what people experience when they have full-blown burnout but yes you did have the symptoms i I do like the way you say that you fizzled out and 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 how how it uh, differentiates Uh, and was this before you got into um into formula one or was it during formula one um it was towards the end of my time uh, in that stage just the way in which the the role that i was in at the time um and the structure of the organization lots of change was happening and it left me in a bit of a void um and that void was sort of missed in the organization and there was because of other things that were happening i didn't have the same workload i didn't have the same things to do and it was a lot of waiting for the next thing to come along and, and move forward in the consulting world you'd probably call it being on the bench or you know it's sort of waiting for that next thing to come along and there was no visibility of it and it's just trying to keep that mindset of actually I, I need to do something i want to do something i can add value and please let me and if after a while certainly with me that sort of tends to well i'm not going to push it because you know i've had the hard times i've had the high pressure you know um, um, high stakes big uh, big long hours and workload that goes along with it now's a low period let's enjoy that for a little bit while it lasts and then i rode, <laughs> rode the wave too <laughs> too long shall we say and it just ends up going well where am i now and what am i doing and i think it's still a lot of those same feelings that you get with burnout which is i can't continue to do this if i want to move forward in what i'm doing um and so as soon as you realize that and realize that you need to take action to move it forward then that's the that's the real sort of driver to change in that sense because the only reason when i when you said you felt under simulated straight away was like but this is formula one this is like <laughs> literally top performance high performance high stress um atmosphere and and, and um was there a point was it probably let's say during the pandemic and the likes did it did formula one take a step back and was it quieter during those years and was it then that you took a step back or was it before then when we did that you got into consulting um so it was going into the pandemic piece uh, and oh and um uh if you ask them when i went independent into that consulting piece that was yeah after the the pandemic but um to position this as well, when I say I worked with McLaren, worked in that Formula One team, it wasn't directly with that race team. I wasn't. It's not as if I was a mechanic in the in the pits or in the design team. I worked for a part of the organisation that took the methodologies, the ways of working, and some of the technologies out to other organisations. Um, so I was. It was essentially a consulting role by any other name, um, but then going out and uh, with those bigger projects, with those big clients, here's a big opportunity let's let's deliver this and just because of the way that the organization was working at the time that those big opportunities weren't there to work on there's still things to do and there's still a big but the bits that i like to get my teeth into the bit bits that really stimulate me those client facing bits just weren't there at that point and that's what after a while led to that fizzle so that was let's say the environment that you were in you're bringing elements of what let's say the, was the the consulting and the coaching that was done in Formula One was it for the teams that you're bringing elements of that to different um it, what was it like benchmarking other companies to the uh high performance of Formula One? So maybe the, an example might start start with yeah yeah a little bit. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a couple of uh, examples. One of them, um, in fact, one of the first roles that I did and first clients in that space was um, supermarket shelf stacking of all things. So it's like, why, you know, what's that got to do with Formula One? Well, actually, a, a major supermarket, which is who we were dealing with at the time, um, if you think about the scale of what they do and the amount of labor alone that they use to put product onto the shelves, this particular client was spending a billion pounds a year just on putting product on the shelves, if you just take the labor cost. So it's a big old problem. And they knew somewhere along the lines that it wasn't being as effective as it could be. So people were either taking product to the, to the shelf and there wasn't a gap there when they thought it would be, or they go to a shelf and they've got no product, but actually there's a massive gap and they need to fill it. So they've got to go back to the stores and it's back and forth and all this rework that goes along. And they've no real way of understanding the, the reality and what's the scale of the actual problem and what goes on. So 
we worked with this client and worked with the uh, with a partner as well at the time and just said right we can build you proof of concepts we can do modeling and simulation around this so that you can start to understand not the definitive like individual numbers here but the general approach to what you're doing and by modeling and putting new technologies in place you can start to say let's play with this in the virtual world and see what would happen if you had infinite shelf space for instance so if you put all your all the product that you brought out from the back uh, back store it all fit on the shelf because your shelves are big enough to uh, to hold all this product what would that mean in terms of how quickly you could get the product out compare that to how you do it at the moment you've got yourself a gap so you can start to quantify look at these things in different ways and using different methodologies to say actually you've got about a year 200 million plus opportunity here so is it worth spending is it worth then going to the next stage and getting better at this and moving this proof of concept along 200 million sounds pretty decent to me what about you let's uh, and let's move it forward and so that's one example of taking a technology and an approach and some expertise that you could then apply to a situation that very few people would go do you know what we need in this supermarket shelf stacking problem we need a formula one team involved <laughs> and then similar situation with um air traffic control or, or air traffic management in a in an airport so I, I was over in the states working with a big airport here about how do you have better data-driven decisions around which uh, um, aircraft you move around which do you prioritize what's the impact if you decide i'm going to move that one out first what's the impact of, of that on the next and the next and the next and that sort of simulation world and the data analytics that go along with it can help you understand the impact or the predicted impact of what's going on and i was that front-facing client um lead to understand what their challenges were or their opportunities and then we would bring in these amazing data scientists simulation modeling analytics people that, that were um could help us along with some of the proof of concepts and it was uh it was amazing what we the stuff that we could do in that space that's amazing they're concepts that i wouldn't even have considered like the first thing that came to mind when you said that you're taking formula one to outside businesses was either that you were doing let's say like a pit stop simulation in the supermarkets to try and fill the shelves that quickly or uh that you were bringing let's say like mindset focused coaching uh that you're probably giving to drivers and to teams so that they can work in that high performance environment that high stress environment and taking that same mindset and bringing it to businesses so that they can operate in a in, in a similar capacity and that is other things that we've done in that space as well, um, particularly around the changeover pieces. If you work, uh, my background is in operational performance improvement in all sorts of bits, food manufacturing in particular, but all sorts of different environments. And for years before my time, you know, the whole ethos has been changeovers, pit stops are your epitome of the, the good changeover. All you had at McLaren and, and, and other Formula One teams do this as well is you've actually got the actual environment, the actual team, and you've got a car that you can get people to change the tires on and run a workshop around that and get them to debrief and see what's what. And, um, and yeah, it's a, it, and then they've also got in front of them the art of the possible as well. So when you go in and you put your hands on a, a, a tire and you try and change it and you're doing it in a team and you think you're doing amazingly at sort of 12, 15 seconds, which is what most people sort of newbies would come in and, and do then um you know to go right you can get this under two seconds is uh, you know you can go that's what's possible if you do all this stuff now you've then got to take that back to what's the challenge and the opportunity at the organization or with the individual at the time is that the mindset that they need is that the problem they need solving so it's very easy to solve problems but are you solving the right problems that's brilliant. And again, that's asking the right questions as well. It's 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 coming in and pe people looking for the answers. But I think the important thing is, are they asking the right questions? Mm. And also coming to them and asking them the right questions uh, to try and solve the solution that they think they're looking for. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that's definitely a very interesting concept. Mm. Um, 
because when when it came to the whole let's say that the pit stop simulating a pit stop for processes coming into especially food and beverage manufacturing i kept on thinking of the henry ford assembly line uh concept and it was like is it something similar to that that everyone has a specific duty rather than getting everyone to multitask and they're getting duties mixed up and there's lots of let's say crossover between different tasks and things getting missed and mistakes happening is it about trying to have a, a more optimized um assembly or systemized approach or process um trying to weed out all the the lost time uh, i think that that's the first thing that ca- came to mind when i was thinking of how fast a pit stop can be yeah yeah it it's about first of all observation what's the actual problem you're trying to solve why is this worth your time so if you if this problem isn't worth solving right now for you then the was it the uh, from, from toyota you know the the biggest inefficiency is making an unnecessary process efficient you know it's the biggest waste of time you don't need it so stop putting the effort in to make it efficient so um it's about understanding what is it you're trying to do is this the right place to spend your efforts and once you've got there observing what's happening if you can split it out if you can the, the more simple you can make anything more known and well communicated and clear and concise for people the better so if there are areas where people can have specific jobs and specific roles brilliant that really helps people to be concise but it might not help with the overall performance you might have a limited team and you need them to be multitasking um so it do, really does depend on the situation but it's about looking at that overall um end to end piece and saying actually how do we maximize our efforts sorry maximize our outputs and by minimizing our, our efforts and inputs in in all of this give people the right roles make sure they understand exactly what's required of them make sure things work make sure uh, people are working together not so that you know one of the most common things is you see people doing the um the pit stop exercise on an actual car and people are thrilled to bits because they've changed a tire in six seconds you know their team's won brilliant just like well your, your car hasn't finished yet because somebody's struggling at the back you know and they're, they're taking over 20 seconds so how long's the car in the pits for if that's the case it's not the six seconds that you've done it's the 20 odd seconds of the slowest wheel so whilst you were celebrating and saying didn't i do a great job could you not have helped that person could you not have done something else even even just observed what they're doing so that you can learn for next time so it's those lessons that come in and say right what do you do so that you focus relentlessly on the performance that you've got in front of you and uh, and be honest about it and work with each other and work towards that common goal that's brilliant um so i think one thing another thing that comes to mind when i think of formula one is again being that high stress environment um does it happen often that let's say it's especially race teams and and drivers um experiencing burnout uh especially when it comes to like either is it in between seasons when they're let's say training or is it in the heat of a season um that they that they tend to burn out if they're if they feel they're overworked or overperforming i mean it's a it's a really tough one to say that because you know you firstly you never know it's very rarely labeled that you know people have been burnt out um lots of people work through it you know it's still a very um let's call it macho environment you know it is purely male environment in this pits still i don't think there are any teams that have female mechanics in their pit crews at the moment there's no reason they couldn't but it's still that male dominated environment and a lot of that comes and the the fact that you know in particularly in those race weekends it's a if there's a problem you stay up until that problem solved you know it's yeah. a and and that is something you know sleep is a, a key one for anyone for burnout you know in any situation are you getting the right rest um, are you stepping away from it and, and making sure that you're not just banging your head against the brick wall? Um, so it's a tough one to say. I'd, I'd say there's two scenarios that I see. One is just being overworked with the constant nature of there's no end to this. You know, even th- there's very little rest in that world. Even when you get to the end of the, the race weekend, 
you firstly you've got to travel you know it's quite often you know big international moves to the next race um and then by the next day you're on to the right how do we get better what's next how do we move forward and there's no there's no oh let's sit on our uh, sit on our laurels a little bit here and aren't we doing well let's uh let's sort of step back and pat ourselves on the back no there's none of that even the people who are leading at the pack and, and have led for a long time they're pushing and pushing and pushing and it's an individual piece there as to how much people can take and what's el- what else is happening in their lives and things like that and then for some people there will be the element of i'll just make it to the end of the season i'll just push on i'll just get there and that moment of sort of vast differential it's almost like a like a heat quench <laughs> you've been in such so much heat for so long and you then go into the uh, the sort of cold dip pool <laughs> you know that differential can shock people and say well you know, what the hell am i doing what am i doing now why is this for me what's going on how can i take this forward i can't do that again for another season um and that is a one of the key things that i do recognize and in that kind of a world is a lot different to a lot of organizations is that you've got a season and you've got a definitive end you've got a race um it's not to say that you can't think of some of your operations like a race but most operations most uh, companies that are working there is just that move forward and you know you've got to carry on the following day and the following day and the following day whereas when you do have a season to look to the end of Firstly, you know where you finished and you know you've got a definitive end and and a move on point from there. Um, And that can have its advantages and have its disadvantages as well. Yeah, definitely. One thing that, again, as you said, having the seasons as opposed to other workplaces, the seasons are like sprints. You're like, okay, I have this, this is when I'm starting. This is when I'm finishing. And it's like, okay, I can worry about all my stresses and I'm burning out and recovery time once the sprint is finished. Mm. But when let's say you have a deadline, you're working towards a deadline in the business that, and, and that could be your sprint. It's you're actually running a marathon. You know that you're that's, that's your deadline, but that's just the end of project a, yeah. as soon as, as soon as you pass that deadline, it's okay. Project B is going to start literally a day later or an hour later than after project a finishes. It's like, okay, what's next? And you can't keep on rushing between, let's say, project A, B, C, D, uh, sprint after sprint after sprint after sprint. It is a marathon, and it's trying to manage that. Um, the, I think that, that that's, I think, where I felt the crossover between Formula One and um, other organizations and businesses. I was like, yes, you've got this high-performing, intense environment in Formula One. And crossing that over and bringing that to businesses... I yeah. could see it from the I could see it from the point of yes, you're helping them manage with high performance, but then the difference was marathon versus a sprint. Mm. So uh, I I think that was definitely one concept that I found interesting. How do you apply um what's um what's what's let's say uh let's say coaching in Formula One to businesses? And uh just another point again uh, that you mentioned about Formula One, especially being a a macho, hyper-masculine environment. Mm. Um, is it likely that a lot of people are burning out in Formula One and they never they, they never talk about it, they're never going to mention it because they don't want to be seen as weak or vulnerable or incompetent in their team or letting their team down if they were to ever talk about their mental health? Mm. Um, do, you, do you feel that Formula One is, uh, let's say, um, more very conservative in terms of talking about their mental health Historically, or have they yeah yes. have they have, have they have they made a lot of progress um in recent years definitely made a lot of progress uh, even in the time that i worked in there you know those years if, if you only have to look back to the sort of 80s and 90s and it was very much a case of you know push 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 and you, you know you, you don't say anything you move forward i think the likes of lewis hamilton you know he's very open about his mental health um and he is the epitome in a lot of ways of someone who is very very focused on his performance you know he's very laser focused on anything that happens has to happen for his performance and outcomes that goes on with it and he recognizes that his mental health is a big factor in that so he calls that stuff out and he will um, he will talk about it. and a lot of 
other uh, drivers and it this is where the drivers and the team leads and things that's where it makes a difference because by showing that and leading um, by example that it's okay to talk about things it's okay to recognize it and it's you know the, the leader's job is to create that environment to allow people to be safe enough to perform at their best and i think that has changed a lot in the the years from being a manager of a team to a leader of a team and and that uh, recognizing that if people aren't able to turn up at their best and be themselves at their best then you won't get their best and so if you're focused on performance you've got to be recognizing that all elements lead to that and if you know the mental health piece is one of the most difficult and yet one of the easiest things to focus on you know because it's it is so so much of an impact you can put in all of the efforts elsewhere all the technology all the processes if people aren't feeling it if they if they're burnt out or if they're fizzled out or whatever it might be they'll find a way to to bring the negative in and that will show in your performance in a much bigger leverage than anything else yeah i think that's what i always kind of kept kept coming back to was that you can try to optimize everything you can optimize all your technology all your equipment but if the focus and the attention isn't there, what 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 does it matter? And mm. uh, and and I think that goes to again Formula One or any business. You could have, uh, you could have AI working for you half the time, but if you're not focused and and giving the right prompts to that AI, even mm. it's it's not it's not going to work to its full potential. Yeah. Um. So so um. I think I think that's where a lot of people are trying to replace. Uh, trying to replace humanity to, to a certain point and, and not pay attention to uh, our mental capacity or our, our mental limitations and um, that they don't want to give themselves time to recover mentally yeah. they're, they're like oh that's just another obstacle I'm going to put that to the wayside and focus on getting my results first I can worry about that later mm-hmm. but it's affecting them so much now and they're, they're not focused on taking care of themselves now or I'm I'm too busy to take care of myself right now. I'm too busy. I've got too many deadlines. I've got too many uh, too many expectations of me. I can't I can't take care of myself right now. I'll do it in six months time. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely coming across that a lot, and it's 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 kind of like when they find themselves in that burned out state, then five six months down the line, hindsight is twenty twenty. They're like what was i doing what was i even thinking yeah i could i could have done so much back then and now here i am in this in in, in this state and uh it's completely burnt out completely fizzled out even as as you said yeah. um it's 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 kind of how do you bring around that awareness um it's especially to teams or to when you come to in, into businesses coming to leadership and coming to management and how do you get them sometimes they are completely oblivious they're not they're not ignorant of the need for mental health that yes of course they know that mental health is important but they just don't see it in their teams or they don't recognize the red flags or the early warning signs so how do you approach leadership when you come into a business and be like these are the signs to look out for or um you need to become more aware of this happening in your workplace. Mm. Uh, do you feel that's, let's say, business specific sometimes, or do you think there are general um, signs to look out for? I think every business thinks that they're individual and they're not. You know, there's, we're all facing the same problems, the same challenges, the and the solutions are generally the same in one way or another. And one of the key solutions is to talk it talk it through and to understand it and make sure that you bring these things to the front Um, and so one of the things I would always look out for is are people opening up about things you know when it when you're asking questions about what's gone on how do people respond to something that's happened you know you might have had if you're in a manufacturing operation there's been a big bit of downtime on your line or something or if you're in a in a bank and there's been a big mess up with a, a loan that's happened how do they respond to that when you ask them what's happened? Is it a case of 
well, this is what happened and this is what we're going to learn from it. And this is how we're all getting together as a team to, to address that and move forward. That's a very positive, <laughs> you know, hit. we've got something to work with here, people, and things that are moving forward. Whereas if everybody's looking around, they're not saying anything. They're shifting their eyes to, you know, who do I blame? How do I hide from this? Or they're denying one of the things I'll often talk about is trust and particularly trust in data. You know, that's, that's one area you can build trust within a team. But actually, if you haven't got trusted data, people hide behind that. And that, I think, is a, a, a usual sign of when you put facts and figures in front of people and they're, they've got space to argue again. Oh, I'm not sure it was that. And maybe can we go back and check those figures? And I don't think it was half an hour downtime. I think it was more like 25 minutes. And maybe that wasn't to do this, it was to do that. Well, that's just using energy in a way that, is avoiding the problem in front of you. So how can you, um, one of the things I'll, I'll talk to organizations about is how do you measure trust in your data? Do you measure accuracy? Yeah, yeah, we've got really accurate data or we've got a problem with accuracy, we recognize that. Okay, what's your trust level like? Well, well, well sorry. <laughs> um, well, do people trust your data? Oh, of course they do. Okay, so if I go in into this meeting, nobody's gonna challenge the numbers that are in front of them in this report. Oh, they might do. And yeah, they sometimes they do. Oh, yeah, they do most. Yeah, they always do. <laughs> Nobody believes it. <laughs> so if you if you haven't got that trusted data, that is a good sign for me that people have got a space to hide. And there's a story going back to the um, the, the F1 days that from, I think it was David Coulthard who said this, one of the drivers anyway. They talked about a culture of responsibility at McLaren. And people are like, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, the data is so clear and it's so obvious that when I go into a, a, a corner or I come out of a corner, and if I've braked even half a meter too late or a millisecond too late and I haven't, I've gone the wrong angle and I've done, done things wrong, if I, by the time I come out of that corner, everybody has the data in front of them that says exactly what angles I used and when I put the brakes on, how much pressure I put, and they trust that data to the extent that I can't say, oh, it wasn't my fault, there was something wrong with the car. They go, nope, that's what it is. And so what that leads to, if you do it right, is you come out of that corner and you'd say, the only thing I could do was to put my hands up and say, that, wasn't, that was my fault, I made a mistake, how can we learn, what can we do better? And that is a, one of those practical things that you can do to help as a team, help as an organization, is actually how do you provide them with trusted data that helps them make better decisions and helps people to not hide behind the facts and figures and or, or the, the gray areas in those facts and figures and just go, right, that's the situation. We all believe it. We all know it. What do we do now? And so I would always look out for those elements of what are people saying? Do they trust the data? How are they interacting as a team when something's gone wrong? Are they putting their hands up to be responsible for performance challenges that have happened? And, uh, and when things are going wrong, are they working together? Are they collaborating to move things forward? Because if, if you've set up your team correctly and you're nurturing that team as a leader and that element of abundance comes, starts to come through and you are, you are feeding that fire of abundance, then uh, people want to help. And it's one of the, the things within that world of Formula One that I think is a key element that doesn't have as much burnout as you think it would do because they've got purpose and they've got that abundance. You know, you, uh, I know you've talked to the, to the great uh, Jimmy Burrows, a uh, good friend of mine, and he talks about this paste model for, uh, and, and yeah, that, that sort of purpose and abundance and, uh, and, and connection and exploration and downtime. I think the, the, the piece is in his model there. And, um, yeah, those elements are really clear. If you focus on how do you make those elements work in your organization as a leader, then people start to be more abundant. That feeds upon each other and they start to go, right, we all know what we're trying to achieve. And if I sit back once I've done my bit and put my feet up and don't help you, then we're not going to achieve what we all want to achieve. And it's a very clear thing in F1 is that we want that car to be at the front of the pack. And then once it is at the front of the pack, we want to be top of the podium. Once it is at top of the podium, we want to be beating the rest and stay in the top of the podium all the time. How do you try, you know, and you can do that for your teams. 
you can do that for your organization what is your purpose how does your team fit in what's your team purpose or individual purpose so that people can connect to that and to start to work together and collaborate on that that's brilliant and a, a great plug there for jimmy as well uh <laughs> I like i only came across the the pace framework uh, uh with jimmy in his book like only a couple of weeks ago uh even just in conversation with jimmy i was like oh wow and I've I've talked about it with other guests since I was like, you know what? I came across this paste framework and they love it. They're like, oh, my God, it actually has everything. It, it, it's kind of like the five um, key areas that if a company doesn't have them, then they're in a burnout culture. If they if if they if if they have all the, the, the five areas of paste, then the company is growing and the, the workforce is growing. Everyone is in a growth culture. But if it's lacking in in any of the areas i feel it doesn't have to be all the areas if any of them are lacking then the company is dwindling or it's 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 on it's on it's on its way to crash and burn because if it's if it's missing any of the of the paste then it's more than likely going to be losing uh another element let's say um if if there's no down if, if if they have purpose abundance connection uh exploration but not downtime if they don't have any downtime uh eventually people are going to be like okay i'm, I'm so wrecked then i'm i'm they, they might not be curious anymore because they're they're so uh exhausted they're, they're, they're not going to be curious enough to look at different areas and then that will lead to maybe they'll be disconnected then and next thing you find that they're dwindling uh and, and losing that framework um What's your approach then to let's say you can use the 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 pace framework if you want, but what would be your framework if you were to um let's say try to implement uh that environment in the workplace of uh, of growth? Um, so I use a um a model that I've developed from my time in F one that I help people with performance pieces, but um, and that was the original idea is how do you get better data driven decisions with where this uh, model came out of. But I've actually found that it works in various different scenarios, including things like career development um, and just in, in terms of how you grow, any projects that you've got. And I'll give you a little background as to where the thinking came from in that I came across a term a while back called infobesity, which I think is a, just a wonderful term of people that are consuming so much data and information from so many places and so many sort of empty calories of information that the the thinking and the premise is that the more data I consume, the better my decisions will be um, and the better performance I will have off the back of it. And I think we'll, you know, it doesn't take much to think about that for a moment and go, actually, that's not necessarily going to be the case. I can, you know, and the alignment that I have to the F1 world is if you want your car to be as fast as possible and to perform on track as fast as possible, you can put more and more sensors on that car. There's always more data you can get off that car, but it comes at the cost of weight because each sensor has a weight to it. And it, it, that weight leads to a detrimental impact on the performance that you're actually trying to drive from getting that data. So you've got to have this sort of return on investment approach for if I'm going to get more data, is it worth the performance that I'm trying to drive off the back of it? Um, and so what we do is, is flip things on its head. And I developed this model called the rapid model, where you look at start, if you're looking to do any sort of data driven decision, and it can be in, as I say, career development, it can be a even where do I invest in my organization, in terms of generating more data, I worked with a um, a large fizzy drinks company, for instance, that spent 10 plus million euro on um, upgrading the, all of their lines to produce more data. So the data was more accurate. And then they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and so it's just like, well, that's because you took a data first approach and assume that more data is better. Whereas the rapid framework says, start with the results that you're trying to drive. Are you really clear as to what you're trying to do and what restraints you've got? Um, in, I'll talk about the what and the how of results. So you might want championship points, for instance, in, if you're in the world of F1, but you also have things like it's got to be within the regulations. It's restrained by, it's got to be within the rules. It's got to be 
aligned to the strategic objectives of the organization. McLaren very big on sustainability, for instance. You might have an organization that has a strong DNI agenda that they're trying to drive. Well, is what you're doing getting you the result in a way that also adds and doesn't diminish from that other strategic objective? So you can achieve the same thing in different ways. So you can start to be clear as to what you mean by results and the sort of, is it results at all costs? Is it results in a, you know, are we a really ethical company? Are we a really, there's no point in Patagonia going, right, we're going to have better business results um, and we're going to burn down some rainforest to achieve it. You know, it's misaligned to their whole strategy. And so once you're clear on results, you move to the next phase, which is actions. What are the actions that we have at our disposal to push and pull those levers that you've got, the things that you can do that have an impact on those results? Do I truly understand all those things? And there's a, some ways to start to build this out and sort of flesh it out for yourself. And once I know what those actions are, who are the people deciding what those actions are going to be? So in the world of F1, it's like who decides when to pit in the car? Who decides what to do when there's a problem in, in certain areas? And then who enacts those as well? So who are the people? What's that working environment? All the team elements that go along with that. And, and once you know those people, the I is for insights. What insights do those people need to make the best decisions on the actions that drive results? <laughs> and then what you end up there is these are the insights that these people need. They need the data and information which is just facts and figures and information being the uh, sort of manipulation of those figures to give it a bit more meaning. If you then structure that information, bring in other elements of information, present it in different ways, it becomes insightful. And in, insights in my world is about data and information that supports you in making a better decision. So it's not just a report. It's the report that highlights where the problems are, where the priorities are, and what you could do about it next. You've still got people making decisions, but it helps you move along there. And what that does is it goes, right, if, the, if these are the insights that people need, what's the minimal data set that's gonna generate those insights? And what, what data do I actually need to generate that insights? What data do I not need? And then you can strip out all of this, I'm gonna spend 10 million euro and go, actually, we need to spend 2 million on this stuff and do it really well or we need to, actually, we've got it all already. We just need to bring it together in a different format. And following that rapid framework is something that helps me. I've always found frameworks help me in any situation, be it burnout, be it you know getting through the challenges that are there. If you've got some confidence in a framework that says, right, I don't know what the hell to do here. Where do I start? That's where a framework brings those things into play. If you're looking at burnout and you're looking at the PACE model, you go, right, I've got something where I can actually look at this and start to assess where I am against these individual things. And that's what the rapid framework does for me. I love it. And I think one thing that you had there, especially at the end with the D, was that it all came down to the one thing. What's the one thing? Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Gary Keller and the one thing as well. Yes. That the, the one thing that makes everything else um, easier are completely unnecessary. Yeah. And and just as you said there, instead of spending 10 million on getting all the data, what's that one piece of data that I need that might only cost 2 million? Maybe we already have it. Yeah. But what's that one thing that will make everything else absolutely unnecessary or, or else everything will be easier yeah. if we just have that one thing? Yeah. Uh, so I, I really love that concept. Hmm. And yes, using different frameworks um to give yourself uh, an outline a blueprint uh to give yourself give yourself that direction to move in um and that's what i always love some people always throw um throw out quick fixes or uh cure-alls as to how, how to start your recovery but i found that the most effective thing is to have a more systematic approach that you can't just say one thing will fix everything oh if you, if you want to start your journey just uh, start with one thing well, I, I, again it's almost uh, contradicting myself in a way by saying you can't start with one thing but that one thing is part of a process yes so one I think when itself, I always come yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. When I come back to Leeway, I always think about what's the simplest step? What's the most silly, ridiculously simple step that you almost feel silly doing it? What is the most simple thing that I can do today so that everything else um, will be easier? Or at least I'll be improving myself or growing in some way so that I can turn up as a better person tomorrow. And I always start with what's the most ridiculously silly thing that I know what I can definitely do um, and I'll feel better because of it. And the first one is always a glass of water. If it's right. like if I can start off my day with a glass of water, I've won. That, right. that, that That's my win for the day and I'm off to a winning start. Yeah. And the second one is... Um, after I brush my teeth, look in the mirror and I smile, just just, just smile to myself, right. making a silly smile, making a friendly smile, whatever smile makes you happy. It, it lifts your mood. The next step is the next person that you see, whether that be your partner, friend, your your family or even your dog. Just smile, smile to them. If right. if, if they smile back, it's a it's a win. If, you're, if, you're, if your dog smiles back, it's a <laughs> double win. Yeah. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah it's it's what's the most simple thing but then that's not that's not the whole process that's just step one and making step one as easy as possible so that everything else seems to just fall in place it's like okay step one i've got to win what's next yeah. rather than uh overwhelm yourself with a uh, hundred steps to do or one massive step one big step to start everything and then everything else being easier afterwards. If that one step is your obstacle, that first step is your obstacle, you'll probably never get around to doing it. It's, it reminds me, I don't know if you know this one or not, but I can't try and desperately to, to think of the guy's name, but it's uh, the Naval um, Amb Admiral, I think is, is an American guy. It's back in the, uh, it'd be a while back now, early 2000s or something. But if you YouTube, uh, go on YouTube and search for this, like, um, I'll, I'll find the link. I'm sure we can put it in here. Uh, but he talks about making the bed. First thing to do every morning, make your bed. And firstly, it's an easy thing. It's something you can achieve. And you feel as if you've done something. And if you've done one thing, it leads to the next thing and it leads to the next thing. And and I love how he rounds it all off. Excuse me. Rounds it all off with. And at the end of the day, if you've had a really crappy day and everything's gone wrong, you come home and your bed's nicely made. So you, there's always a positive to be had from it. So it's like, do that one thing first and foremost in your day, and then it sets you up for the, the next things that come your way. Yeah, and I've, I've found it funny because I keep on coming across other people's examples saying the exact opposite, <laughs> being like, it's like, why, why, why bother making your bed? Because they're <laughs> like, you've got so many other things that you could do with your day. Because they're like, you're you're going to mess your bed when you get home anyway. So so what's the point of making it first thing in the morning? And I was there like, okay. And is there like, it's like, it, it both are valid points. I I think a lot of people, especially it's like, you, you make your bed and you feel good about it. It's just yeah. that one simple thing. Yeah. You feel good about it. You um, remembering to brush your teeth in the morning or uh, I think it's a BJ Foggs has the um, flossing one tooth right. is, is, is the, the tiny habit is, is, is to, to floss one tooth and that's a win. And any other teeth that you floss is a bonus. Right. Um, so so it's, a, it's about having just that one thing and you're proud of. It's, it's just that one little win. Yeah. And I think that's that's what you need to to start growing, um, a, a, let's say, a winning mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way for you to get your day off to a, a good start. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, instead of dwelling on, oh, I've got so much things to do today. I'm so far behind and the day hasn't even started. If you can give yourself that one tiny um, task, um, be that making the bed, brushing your teeth, smiling in the mirror, drinking a glass of water, um, that that's how you get your day off to a winning start. Oh, wonderful advice. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that you covered a lot, especially with the Formula One and uh, coming to businesses for coaching uh, from the Formula One. Do you also work with individuals? Uh, is it on, and is it on the same, let's say the same, uh, obviously not the same level as a business, but would they have similar um would there be similarities in in what you teach to businesses as you do to individuals or would it be different um so firstly yes i, I do work with individuals and uh, you know one of the things that i always encourage people to do is to reach out and just if any of this rings true in any 
you know, as an individual or for your organization, reach out to me. Um, there's a um, button on the website, one of the first things around booking a free 30-minute chat with me. Have a chat and see where it goes. I'm all about performance. That's always been my focus. So if that performance is going to come, is about your personal performance, then let's see what we can do and, and how I can add value. If it's about your organization's performance, that, that's the same uh, piece. Individuals, I've tended to work a lot around some uh, coaching on career development in particular, um, but it's also um, worked with people using that rapid uh, performance model as well in things like I've got a big project coming up or I've got something that's happening in my world and I don't know where to go with it, you know, how to define the performance and move it forward. It's that's what I've found most useful about it is having a framework allows people to move forward and take those steps and have visibility that they are working towards something. Uh, so, yeah, more than happy to chat to people about helping them with their individual performance uh, as well as organizational piece as well. Awesome. Brilliant. And what's the best way for them to get in contact with you, Paul? So the website is uh, paulteasdale.co.uk and that that one of the first things, I think there's a, even a pop-up to help you as well. There's a, a big button there, but there's also a pop-up to book that free 30 minutes. And you know, I can't stress enough, it is all about just what what does, if even if it doesn't resonate with you and you think, you know, you want to give me some feedback and something, I'm always willing to have a chat with people about what that means to them. If I can add value in that 30 minutes, I'm not looking to sell anything. So you know, it is if that then goes from there into something else for uh, for us, and I can add more and more value than brilliance. But that's all I'm after at the end of the day is how can I add value, and how can I bring that forward? I'm also quite active on LinkedIn as well, so always look out for me there. Um, and 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 yeah, have a listen. I've got a podcast as well, so I, I'm about helping people perform. So have a listen to that, and if that has other people who I'm connected to who I can then connect you with as well. And that's an, another way that I like to help people and add value to them is that if it's not something that's in my wheelhouse, or if I'm not the best person for it, how do you move them on to someone who can really help them? Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, we can stick all of that in the show notes anyway, so everyone can check it out. That's awesome, Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eugene. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Appreciate you having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, could you take a moment to leave a 5 star rating on Spotify because it really helps to improve the rating of the show so that it's more easily found by others who might enjoy the show just as much as you. And maybe take a moment to share with family, friends or a loved one because what better way to help break the stigma around mental health than to have that conversation with those closest to us. As always, reach out to me at giveyourselfsomeleeway.com on social media, eugene.leeway or shoot me an email, eugene at leeway.ie because even though Give Yourself Some Leeway is like an outlet for me, I also want to give the highest value to you, my listeners. So I really depend on your feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more about. So until I hear from you, take care of yourself. Maybe have a glass of water, crack a smile, and think of a way to prioritize your own self-care. So until next time, take care.